Welcome to When Things Go Wrong, a show about what to do when things you expect to go just fine simply don't. Often it has nothing to do with what you did or what you didn't do, and yet it affects you in profound ways. I'm your host, Frank Sapovitz. I've spent more than 30 years creating, managing, and producing major sports and entertainment events, and on this show we'll meet fascinating people from all walks of life and business who had to manage difficult problems, often under tremendous pressure. You'll hear from pros who will show us how they have avoided disaster or managed a crisis when one happened anyway. Today's guest on When Things Go Wrong is Mario Rodriguez, one of the nation's top rock stars in the transportation industry. Mario's award-winning record of leadership stretches from Hong Kong to California to New Orleans to his current role as the executive director of the Indianapolis Airport Authority. Under Mario's leadership, Indianapolis International Airport has been recognized year after year as the best airport in North America by such prestigious organizations as J.D. Power, Condé Nast Traveler, Travel and Leisure Magazine, TripAdvisor, and Airports Council International. As a frequent traveler to IND myself, I can personally vouch for the veracity of those high marks. Indianapolis is indeed, in my opinion, the best-run airport on the continent. A nationally recognized thought leader on issues relating to aviation, Mario Rodriguez was appointed to the United States Department of Transportation's Committee for Aviation Consumer Protection by the last two presidential administrations and he served on the Biden-Harris presidential transition team. Here is my conversation with Mario Rodriguez. Ah, Frank, it's an honor to be here with you, really. The honor is really all ours. And, And before we dive into your fascinating world and how you and your team have prepared to manage a range of potential situations that can go from mildly to terribly wrong, let's talk about all the things that go right all the time. So tell us, what, what is it about Indianapolis International Airport that has contributed to an incredible reputation as the best airport in North America? It, you know, it, it starts with honing the philosophy. And, you know, what's our higher purpose? And our higher purpose, it, it, may, it may sound a little bit strange, but we're a public organization. So our higher purpose is actually adding public value to the community at large. Um, and how, how do you do that? How do you add that value? It, it, it's weird because, you know, in, in society itself, in our society, which is so bottom line focused, it's simple to basically say, how much money are you making? You know, what's your profit and loss statement? It, it, to add public value, it's a little bit more nebulous. For example, a customer service is public value. We're adding it to every customer that goes through the door. Everything from keeping the prices low in the parking, because to the end, you know, it, it, basically, you own the airport. Do you want low parking prices? The answer is probably yes. Or something that feels reasonably fair. Do you want a free bottle of water when you go to your to your car? And the answer is probably yes. Do you want us to add economic value to the whole area? In other words, the, the economic impact of this airport exceeds $5 billion. And that's not just, you know, it's kind of hard to get your hands around, but if you look at the amount of construction we do on, a, on an annual basis, and it's usually done with local companies, the amount of products we buy on an annual basis, and it's done with local companies. If FedEx is one of our biggest 
companies right here, and they they employ tons of people, thousands and thousands of people. We have companies all around us. We develop land. You know, it's not just moving products and and people in and out, which we do very very well. We also add a little bit more to the economy at large around here, and and ultimately it's 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 a philosophy. You own the airport. What you know, and we actually talked to the community at large. What do you want us to do with this thing? You know, it's amazing that you, you talk about airports. Of course, that's your business, but but for us out in in the world of not airports, we don't think as of the airport as a business. We don't think of it in terms of a public company or a public uh, public or community re- related service. We think of it as the place you go to pick up your airplane, mm-hmm. right? And and so it's fascinating that it really does have to operate as a business, and it's and it's it's organized in two pieces, as I understand it. There's an air side operation and there's a ground side yes. operation, and. And th- those are very different. They have different kinds of issues that they deal with. You actually hit the nail on the head. If we do our jobs right, you don't have to think about it. You just have to come park your car, go through security, which usually takes five to 10 minutes, get to your airplane and leave. And it should be a very, very pleasant experience. You don't have to think about it. you know. And that's what we try to harmonize all these all these things. We try to make your experience from the land side, which includes maybe parking your car in a remote lot, being picked up by an electric bus, which we have the largest electric bus fleet in the United States and actually the largest um, photovoltaic arrays producing energy from the sun on any airport in the United States. So in other words, that's part of the public value. We want to make sure we don't mess up the environment while providing services to you. We wanna make sure we keep your environment in good shape. So we'll pick you up as quickly as possible, shuttle you to the terminal. From the terminal, you just walk in from the door of the terminal, go through security. Our security checkpoints are incredibly large and incredibly efficient. And you know we have concessions that provide anything from a burger to a steak to whatever you'd like, whatever you desire. Sun King just opened their doors, which is our local, uh, my favorite brewery. Uh, so am I supposed to say, can I say oh, that? Oh, you can. They have absolutely. a great cream ale. They absolutely, absolutely, absolutely do. And we're going to talk more about your concessions in a little bit because you know, clearly uh, COVID has affected the transportation industry. It's also affected the restaurant industry. And you've got You've got food outlets in the in the airport uh, that are affected, I guess, in two different ways. But but before we do that, let, let's talk about how communication flows. So when when something goes wrong on one side of your business, call it the air side, it, it can also affect what's happening on the other side of the business, the, the ground side, for example. So how does communication flow between the two sides so that you can have a coordinated approach to when things do go wrong? Oh, it's completely seamless. You know, our folks are incredibly well-trained. For example, every year we get inspected, and this is the best example I could give, we get inspected by FAA. FAA comes through and, you know, it's an inspector and his or her job is to make sure they find something. Not something substantive, but something. 
For the last 27 years, they found nothing. So we've gotten perfect scores continuously over the last 27 years, which is really unheard of us in, in this industry. And it, it has a lot to do with the dedication of the men and women here to make sure that the operations flow perfectly. I think the last time the airport was closed due to inclement weather, um, obviously I wasn't here, but it was the, I think it was a big snowstorm of 1976 or 78 or something like that. I mean, that's the last time they closed the airport, which is unheard of. And that's why FedEx is here. Because FedEx not only has safe operations, they have continuous operations. So, you know, everything is harmonized as well as you could possibly get it under circumstances. Now, you know, curveballs are thrown at us all the time. We have emergencies all the time, but we manage through them all the time. And it really is fascinating. And, and when an emergency happens or something that's less than an emergency really and something going sideways it's really important not to keep that information to yourself oh yeah we we have it, that data is shared uh we do studies on it but but remember what is it i, I eisenhower said that plans never survive contact with the enemy and basically that's it right you're, the plan is never going to survive anything because you're never going to be able to game the correct, uh, the correct problem, but you're going to be able to game a series of scenarios that will say, well, you need so many resources to get through these scenarios and your, your people will be a little bit better trained if they game out these scenarios. And that's what we do each and every day. So for the majority of us passengers, of course, the thing that, that most often goes wrong are flight delays. And, and I live in the New York metropolitan area. So when there's a flight delay for me, it's often, more often than not, a ground stop in my hometown, right? Thanks to weather or air traffic or closure of the airport, which we experience all the time. So I should probably move to Indianapolis with the rest of our listeners. But, but the problems in New York become your problem when, when passengers are stuck in your airport. So isn't there some kind of a weather problem somewhere most of the time? And, and if there is, I presume... What's, what's your team doing behind the scenes on either side? Yeah, there's, you know, it, it, it's fascinating because it works like, a, if you look at it, it kind of looks like the internet, to be to be quite honest. You know, a, a, an actual internet, it has hubs and, you know, traffic moves from point A to point B. So when you, when you, when it disrupts uh, the system, the whole system is disrupted, but you know, we're very thoughtful. So if this, if it's disrupted and we have passengers that are delayed, we have mats available so they could sleep. We give them coffee. We give them snacks. We make sure we take care of our customers and uh, make them as comfortable as possible. There's nothing you can do about a delay. No. And by the way, you live in the most complex, busiest airspace on the planet. Mm-hmm. So in the New York, New Jersey Metroplex is just, you know, any any little thing moves and you have a ripple effect all all across the United States and in some cases across the world. The the big story of the past year has been really a business emergency for most of us. It's been COVID-19. Yeah. And and how incredibly devastating the pandemic has been to every 
possible business, including the transportation industry. So how has managing Indianapolis International Airport been different this past year? You know, it's it's been challenging, but we we had we did a lot of planning ahead of COVID, and our planning indicated that we were going to go into some recession at some time. It was going to be a, you know our our planning had gamed out a small recession and a larger recession. So when we came into this, although we came into it with what we had, not necessarily what we needed, we had over four hundred operating days of reserve. So we've been able to to keep everybody afloat by using the reserve funds. And, and like I said, most of, most of these plans don't survive contact with the enemy, the emergency, however you want to phrase it. Right. But you want the resources or you want a certain amount of resources that you gained out so you could use. So we had enough resources. Right now we have enough resources to get through this problem, to get everybody through this problem. Because in reality, Aviation isn't going to go away. You know, unless Elon Musk figures out a way to beam us across the world. Flat, you know, in 2019, the United States moved over a billion passengers. Worldwide, there was nine billion. Eventually, it'll all come back. Now, it'll be an adaptive future because everybody says, well, getting back to, um, to reality or getting back to, getting back to some reality of the past isn't going to, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Business. It'll be a new normal of some kind. Oh, yeah, every, yeah, it's going to be a new normal. Everybody goes, well, you know, getting back to, 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 to normal. And, and normal never existed in the first place. You know, it's always moving. So w- what happened is, in my opinion, you've got several factors that are going to affect travel in the future. One is obviously business. Business, and there's been a business revolution. COVID has compressed businesses. Just think about your business, what you do. I travel. I used to travel every so often to DC to meet with legislators and, and, and basically do the business of the airport. For an hour meeting, it would take me two days. I could do that on Zoom or any sort of virtual platform right now, and it works. So you're going to lose that portion of business travel, and, you, and, and you're going to gain a lot of leisure travel because people could do business from wherever right now. So it gives people a lot of freedom and it's something that would have happened anyway. Now you also have the the economic byproduct of COVID, which will take some time to work out. And you've got also the psychological product. It's the psychological byproduct. You have a group of people that will never ever get on an airplane. Then you've got a group of people that it'll take longer for them to get comfortable to get on an airplane because no matter how you put it, you're still you're still in a very close area with 150 of your best friends. So I want to I want to make a comment on something that you said because I think it's it's absolutely essential. You didn't have a COVID plan, mm-hmm. but you had a plan for a recession, which is a symptom, exactly. right? The, the downturn in the business is really a symptom of the COVID-19 crisis. There are other things that are going on there too, but you were prepared for anything. You weren't prepared for everything. Everything is every individual possibility, but there's a generalized approach to how you handle emergencies because you frequently have 
solutions that are more generalized. I think that's the only way you could do it. If you think about it, if we would have all sat here and tried to figure out what would what could happen, COVID-19 would never have come up. Not to this degree. You know, right. we've lost more than World War II, more people in World War II in the United States. Nobody would have ever thought about it. Katrina, for example. Katrina, we were completely ready for a hurricane. And we'll talk about Katrina in just a minute. But but I want to go back to another thing that you said, which is that people are reticent to get on airplanes, or will be some anyway. Yeah. So, but and and you're taking extraordinary measures to keep your passengers safe. And we, the flying public, though, have to meet you halfway at least, right? What what can we do as passengers to help you help us stay safe? You know, it's very simple. It's what our mothers taught us: wash your hands. You know wear a mask, you know, there's a lot of passengers that are having a hard time with masks. And it really is, you know, you have to wear a mask on an aircraft. You're in very, very close proximity with a lot of people. And although the air circulation is extremely good in an aircraft, which it is, you're still within very close proximity. You know, it really is, uh, it really is, an adaptive future that we're heading to. And everybody has got to adapt to this future by not not only to protect yourself, to protect others around yeah. Anything else that you see characterizing what the new normal might look like at an airport? It, you know, I, I think it's gonna be more more touchless. I think that'll be, that, that was gonna happen anyway. And it was happening. Self bag drops. So in other words, Everything from self-backdrops to going through security without even seeing a person. Now, if you think about the algorithms we have today, because of your buying patterns, because of who you are, I could tell whether you are a potential threat. In other words, I could identify as a friend or a potential foe. So I could discount 90 to 95% of the people walking through the security checkpoint as as basically friends, not foes. So why do I need to check you? So we just want to make sure that nobody carries a weapon on board, but giving, allowing you to go through basically a, a, an automated process is probably the wave of the future. And getting on an airplane in an automated way is probably the wave of the future. It, it might also be with, with respect to food service. As we talked about some of the great restaurants of, of Indianapolis, like Harry and Izzy's and Shapiro's, they, they have locations in the terminal so you can grab an order of one of those St. Elmo's shrimp cocktails before yeah. you go on board. And, and I will say this as a public service to our listeners. One thing that can go terribly, but very temporarily wrong, is if you don't approach that St. Elmo's cocktail sauce with the utmost respect and moderation, right? So, Absolutely. So, so Mario, the, the restaurant industry, of course, has been one of the most hard hit sectors this past year with COVID-19. How has that affected how has that affected your local restaurant dining at the airport? And will those things change in the new normal? You may not think it's lucky, but it was lucky that it hit at the time. So we're in the middle of revamping all our concessions. So COVID hit. A lot of them have been stopped or slowed down. So what, what this does is this allows us to modify these concessions to what our future looks like. 
where if we had them all operational, it would have been fantastic, but it would have been horrible because we would have had to take some of them apart. Like like you said, maybe Harry and Izzy's remains like Harry and Izzy's, but some of the other concessions may be a lot more automated than they have been. Maybe they have less seats. Maybe the bars are smaller. Uh, you know, it, it kind of patterns change. And also business patterns change. Maybe there's more burgers and fries because families are flying a lot more and maybe there's less of the Harry and Izzy's style dining. Maybe we, we leave Harry and Izzy's the way it is and maybe the others morph into something a little bit more family friendly. So let, let's move to a, another enormous challenge that you had to face at another stop along your career journey. And you were the deputy director and chief operating officer at Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport, if I've got that yeah, right. You got it. And, and you were there when Hurricane Katrina devastated oh, yeah. the region back in 2005. But, but before Katrina, you saw the need to develop a flood protection plan for the airport that helped to minimize the damage and ultimately sped up the recovery at the airport when things did go really horribly wrong. How long before the storm did you identify that need? Well, you know, I, I was I was hired to fix up a bunch of messes in New Orleans because in New Orleans is wonderful. I love New Orleans. One of the great cities of the world. Absolutely. New Orleans, yeah. New Orleans is a focal point for the creative class. You have artists, musicians, uh, painters, philosophers, but you don't expect a philosopher to work. So <laughs> it kind of falls into disrepair and every so often they have to bring people in to fix it. They call it elegant decay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was brought in to fix a bunch of stuff and it, the airfield was falling apart um, and the main runway and everything else. You know, the stuff that brings a tourist into to the city of New Orleans that needs to be kept operational. And uh, I was sitting in my office and I was looking outside of the window and I'm, you know, I'm just a dumb engineer, but that levee didn't look good around the airport. So it, what I tried to do is rebuild the levee at our cost. We spent uh, a ton of money and elevating the levee and we lifted it nine feet above where it was and built a whole mess of structures around it. One for, for the railroad, a railroad gate, very sophisticated. And we finished the project a month ahead of schedule, three days before Katrina. No kidding, that close. No, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was all, I'd rather be lucky than good. And uh, the, um, the, the levees broke, obviously, the water came up. The levees in the airport held and the water came within a foot of overtopping the new levees, which was nine foot higher. So what really the effect of this, the immediate effect is that that by luck saved lives because the airport became the focal point of the evacuation. If you think about how New Orleans was laid out, the bridges into Mississippi heading east had fallen, basically had been destroyed, fallen into, into the water. Heading west into Baton Rouge was way too far and through, basically through through swamps. Uh, heading north, no one was going to put any weight on the Poncha train um, causeway because they were worried it was going to fall also. And it was far to the other side of the, of the Poncha train lake. So as people were being picked up at the, at, you, have to, you have to think about it, it was chaotic at best because, uh, no, no, maybe it was super chaotic. Mm. 
So people were being picked up off of roofs. And guess where the helicopters went? Oh, gee whiz, there's an airport there. Now the airport's not operational at all. So they start dropping people off. So suddenly we have about 10,000 people in the terminal that have been dropped off. And, you know, it, and then, then it becomes kind of sort of, we're moving so fast, it becomes a blur. Uh, the airport became the busiest airport, and I still remember these data points, the busiest airport on the face of the planet for three days. Um, and that's from the evacuees from, yeah, from rooftops and around town. And, and, your, and your team is really important. You know, you mentioned that you had uh, very dedicated staff, and that's tremendous. And, and I, I find it really fascinating because when something happens at an airport or another point of, of uh, collection for uh, an evacuation or something like that, you, you need people to make the plan work. You can't just have the physical facility. You need the people that, that will ultimately even potentially be working around the clock. If, if you had, a, for example, a blizzard in Indianapolis, the same thing as a hurricane in, in New Orleans in the sense that your team may be working around the clock. Air, uh, travel outside the airport could be impossible. They may be, not be able to come or go. They have families they need to take care of. They're concerned about them. H how do you take care of them so that they stay, they're, they're, that exhaustion is less of an issue? Because well, things can go wrong when people are overtired. And New Orleans taught me one thing. The, tr the only asset you really have are people. It's never a financial equation. It's all a human equation. It's true. You try to take care of your people. For example, in New Orleans, we lived in our offices for two months. 71 days in the Hilton after that. I became a Hilton Diamond member. So I walk into a Hilton now and people drop to their knees. I mean, it's the most incredible thing you've ever seen. And we spent, the whole staff spent two years in a trailer park that we built inside the airport of FEMA trailer park because everybody had lost their homes. So in that sort of journey, we, we, we bonded. Uh, we got to take care of ourselves and take care of others. So you know, it, 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 I think it changes your view on what an emergency is and what leadership truly is. And leadership truly is taking care of people. And, I mean, it's as simple, it, to me, it's as simple as that. Whether it's your passengers or whether it's folks that work with you, and making sure that they don't overwork, they don't overstress, make sure they, they get to the other side as well as you can get them to the other side. Yeah, take a break, right? Yeah. Let, them, let them take breaks. Well, it's as simple as that sometimes. People do very dangerous things when they're tired. Yeah. You know, especially when you're walking around in an airfield with airplanes moving back and forth, you know, it, it, just taking a nap is a good thing. Yeah, no question. So, Indianapolis is a is a big event town all, all year long. And and for example, more than three hundred thousand people come to the Indy Five Hundred every Memorial Day weekend. You know, the city has hosted a Super Bowl, the NCAA Final Four, Big Ten Championship, and and tons of of other huge events. And you said you touched on something earlier that I think is really important, which is you you know. The way you determined that the levy needed to be fixed was you looked at it. <laughs> yeah. you, you took notice of your surroundings, right? So, so, you know, take notice of your surroundings. But 
in, in this particular case, it's sort of the same. You, you need to be prepared for the crowds that are on their way to or from Indianapolis to, to enjoy these things. It, it's about, in that case, your surroundings and the community that you're in. How, how do you manage those days differently? Well, you know, if, if there's something, if there's something that is that you could compare New Orleans and Indianapolis, they do they do big events well. Both cities, they know what they're doing. They've done it before. You know, New Orleans, New Orleans does it well because they've been doing it for heck hundreds of years. Indianapolis does it well because they've been doing it for some period of time, but they also have these, and, and the people in, in Indiana are the nicest, warmest people I've ever seen in my life. And you could, you could fix so many things just because of that. You know, you could fix so many, so many problems just by saying good morning and being nice to folks. And I, I've yet had to have seen a problem, even with these large events. People come in, they're happy, uh, you know, they're excited. We make sure that we take care of our customers. We make sure that we focus in on them. If they're, if they're, like I said, if there's a delay, we make sure that they're comfortable. So for the most part, I've seen over and over again that uh, events have gone off without a problem. Now, obviously, everything has a problem, but no major problem that would end up in the newspaper. And, and it comes back to people. Mm-hmm. You may have to apply more of them, mm-hmm. and you may have to give them different expectations. You may have to let them know something big is about to happen. We're going to be on our best, and here's what it means when we are. And we have volunteers that come here and help us out with customers, just guiding them, because you know one of the one of the best, one of the most secure jobs on the face of the planet is to be a designer for airport signage, because nobody seems to read it. So everybody believes that you should slap on a sign and design another sign. You know these airport designers get to design signage every like two or three years, because everybody gets you know they they think they could control people with crowds control crowds with with signage and really how you can control crowds and move them through the airport is with people because everybody asks well you know where's concourse a and just having a person there to answer them is perfect you know it saves a lot of time makes their journey a lot more pleasant absolutely so as we mentioned in the very beginning, you've you've contributed to multiple advisory groups supporting the U.S. Department of Transportation under both Republican and Democratic presidents. Yeah, I think I got them fooled. They think they know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, you must because they keep inviting you back. So, what what issues do you and your industry colleagues see as essential for the for the government to be in front of right now and over the next four years? Well, right now, and, and, you know, stepping away from politics, this is, this is a worldwide industry that has to be harmonized. So when you're, go, when you're doing things that involve COVID, for example, it should be harmonized worldwide. So worldwide, whether you wear a mask or not wear a mask or wear something else or do something else, everybody should be on the same playing field. And I think that needs to happen in the future where the federal government steps in and says, look, this is what you need to do. And steps in internationally with all our partners around the world and say, you know what, this is what we're all going to do. Because 
you know, we've lost some ground in the past internationally, but in reality, where the United States goes in aviation, the world falls. So we have to reestablish our leadership position for the good of everybody, because this is this is nonpartisan. This is this is benign. You know, COVID is COVID is it's a virus. You know, and if we harmonize and, and that 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 goes to one of your first questions, what can we do as customers? You know, if the government tells you these are the best practices, you should you should be following the best best practices for your health and for everybody else's. Yeah, in in many, many ways, you are at the center of more than just transportation. You're more, moving more than just people. You're moving the economy because when people move, money moves and money creates economic impact at the end of the day. That's that's what makes business go. Well, it, it, people and, and think about it. Think about it this way with FedEx. FedEx has a huge hub here. You know, when you when you press your Amazon button, things mysteriously appear on your door. In my case, several times a day, as a matter of fact, it's horrifying. Horrifying. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, all of this has to be, most of it is moved, obviously, on the ground. A lot of it is moved in the air, though. It, you know, it, it it's such a marvelous sort of, sort of um, industry that is not only moving people, it's moving packages. And pretty soon, you're going to see drones moving packages drones moving people and it's going to evolve into that sort of more automated uh self-service move that you that you could expect you know when i was growing up i used to see the jetsons you know it's going to be the Mm -hmm. jets sooner or later the technology is there and it's been driven to a faster degree by covid because the shipping companies can't keep up with all of us asking for products to be dropped off on our doorstep well we're gonna we're gonna bring you back on the show in five years so that you can tell us how we did with drones um because it's fascinating and and you work in such a fascinating business that thank you we've been visiting with mario rodriguez the executive director of the indianapolis airport authority and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on when things go wrong thank you for sharing your wisdom insights and experiences with us thank you for having me on the show Learn more about how to plan for and survive the inevitable blips, bloopers, and blunders of life and business in What to Do When Things Go Wrong, available in hard copy, ebook, and audiobook from Amazon.com and other fine booksellers. I'm Frank Sapovitz, and remember, if it hasn't happened to you, it just hasn't happened to you yet. The When Things Go Wrong podcast is produced by Chris and Mandy Wimmer and is a production of Black Barrel Media in association with Fast Traffic Entertainment. You can find more Black Barrel Media shows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. For more background on this show, join us at Black Barrel Media on Facebook and Instagram, at B Barrel Media on Twitter, and on our website at blackbarrelmedia.com. See you next time, if all goes well. (laughs) 